I think there are a lot of advantages to taking the fact that we are a tourism mecca and taking the fact that the people who use the buildings should be the one paying for it. You know, it shouldn't be a choice between building a new middle school in White's Creek where I live or uh, adding an amenity to, you know, Bridgestone Arena. When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to Pod Bless Nashville. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Jamie Holland. Don't follow me on Twitter at JR Holland. <laughs> uh, off and running. So today on the show, main topic, of course, will be the history and the current state of of the fairgrounds. Uh, Jamie, you're going to do the work of giving us the history lesson uh, on how this has all taken place and un- unfolded over the last f- oh, 15 years or so. Uh, we'll start with the origin story of the bill that you wrote in 2011. We'll get into the current state of the deal between the mayor's office, Bristol Motor Speedway, and the neighborhood around the fairgrounds, of course, that also might include uh, an organization called Citizens Against Racetrack Expansion. So we'll John get- Ingram's beard. I-, I should say Citizen Against Racetrack Expansion. Now you got it. Singular. Uh, but we'll get into all that with Nate Rao, of course, of Axios, going to join us a little bit later on to give us sort of the details of the deal itself, what is on the table, what's happening with the council meeting that has been placed at the end of July in a stall tactic to push it off to the next mayoral uh, candidate and or city council we'll see um we'll see what you have to say about that jamie <laughs> coming up a little bit later on in the show we're going to end every show jamie with a segment we're going to call all politics is national and the supreme court made a pretty substantial ruling and maybe unexpected ruling in the state of alabama i want to use your legal mind and sort of some of the the history of of nashville congressional districts uh, and some current legal implications in the state and that particular ruling and what it might mean for the state of Tennessee. There are implications for states like North Carolina, Georgia, the rest of the South, that that maybe uh, this could have some implications on Tennessee. So we'll finish up the show with that, and you'll hear from Nate Rao from Axios a little bit later on. So obviously, give us a follow on all the social platforms. Uh, Again, a lot of fun stuff coming for you guys. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. You guys know the drill. Okay, so let's start with how it all began at the fairgrounds. 2011, you are a council member. Can you take people through exactly why you were, quote unquote, saving the fairgrounds? My history goes back to 2011. The site that we call the National Fairgrounds predates Ryman Auditorium. So my history is not nearly as long, but in 2011, petitions were being gathered to save the fairgrounds and a council member on the back row started collecting these petitions and the stack of papers started getting extremely high ultimately grabbed those signatures got them data entered to see what was going on and the reason that these petitions were being collected is because then mayor carl dean had a bill and an idea to demolish the place for what? I won't say the name of the company here, Braden, but it was sold to Neighbors for Progress, 
as a mixed-use development. That, in fact, was false. How do you know that that's false? Was there any reporting on it at the time? How do you fact-check me on that? Well, it was going to be a data center for a local business here in town that does pretty well, I might add, particularly so during the pandemic. It did extremely well as a business concern. Two days after January 18, 2011, January 18, 2011 was the night of the council vote. I'll talk more about that in a minute. On the bill, sponsored by Megan Barry, to demolish the entire property at the fairgrounds, all 100 plus acres. Two days after that, this company closed on a piece of property in southeast part of the county that today is home to their mixed-use development? <laughs> nope, you'd be wrong. To their data center. And it has about 10 or 15 cars out there every day, but it's a monster facility to collect this company's data. And that's what Carl Dean was going to put on the site of the fairgrounds. Charming. Great look for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Back to January 18, 2011. That is a night that might go down in the annals of the metropolitan government forever because it put more people in the building than any other matter since or at that time. And according to the city paper reports at the time, RIP, over 3,500 people went through the security checkpoint as that data was collected from the sheriff's department. They were on all six floors of the courthouse. As far as a story goes, that night of that vote is what I would consider the best political story that I could ever tell. Because that site, the fairgrounds, has a long history back to when Max Smith, father of David Smith, current resident of East Nashville, former juvenile court clerk, he was the chairman of the fair board. And he ran that board very very well and it made lots of profits until a guy became mayor named phil bredesen and for, for the record when you say way way back it is 118 years old the fairgrounds older than ryman auditorium and he had a lot of surplus created in that fair board and when phil bredesen became mayor there was something called a inner service fee being collected and I'm using a generic term there. That's not the exact term. But Phil started taking money from various departments to fund other initiatives. And the fair board was a good source of getting some of that money. But January 18, 2011, 3,500 people in the room, in the building, on all six floors of the courthouse, vice mayor dying, neighbors running the meeting. If you want to hear this story, Brady. <laughs> Keep going, man. Keep going. Okay, we, so we, we will eventually get to 2023 with somebody else, so it's okay. In the lead up to the vote, it was going to be close. And the first thing you have to do when you do this type of work, all your people have to be present. If your people aren't present, then you got to then you move into some other tactic. But on this night, all 40 council members present. The night before, I'd flipped a vote to our side so there, if you voted yes you were voting to demolish that entire site 
if you voted no, you were voting to save the fairgrounds, the racetrack, the entire site. Well, and then there's a longer tail legal implication with what took place <clears throat> as well, right? Sure. Let's get to let's stay on January 18, 2011. The greatest story that I he just maybe you missed that point earlier. <laughs> now you're wanting to, as told by the main character, you're wanting to separate me from that story. So Megan Barry was the lead sponsor, and she was a very competent vote counter and at large council member, second term. And I'm the new guy that comes in after winning a recall election and it was going to be close so before the meeting i spoke to the vice mayor diane neighbors because she votes in the event the vice mayor votes in event of a tie no tie vice mayor doesn't have a vote it, it was in the balance and i went and talked to her and her response was a chuckle which was kind of like fuck you jamie not happening and so one of the other votes was in the balance. And we went to a committee room off the council floor. So it's me, Megan, and Darren Jernigan. And at the time we're you know, we're four hours into the meeting. The public hearing is going on. There are lines of people throughout the building all to get in and get their two or three minutes worth of public comment. Time. And the vast majority of which are there to save the fairgrounds. Correct. They vote no on the, the demolishment. of there, the There's people outside. There's people honking horns. I mean, it is, it is a full on display of people led movement, but you, you can't just do it. People led folks. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you got to have an inside game and an outside game. And I was running the inside game. So it was me, Megan, and Darren Jernigan. And Darren expresses initially his fatigue level and the fact that he'd been in his wheelchair since 6 a.m. Darren, now state representative Darren Jernigan. And Megan is making certain promises to him. And I chuckled at her promises because I said, I happened to have a list of all the people in not only in Darren's council district, but also in his state house district that he was running for that had signed the petition to save the fairgrounds. And convenient information to have. At, right at my fingertips. Yeah. <laughs> the counter that counterbalance to Megan, uh, she had no response for. The caveat Darren made or condition said you have to get this done in an hour. And so I said, done. And so Megan and I are standing outside the door and she starts laughing. And she said, Jamie, there's no way you can stop this meeting in an hour. And I said, well, you're about to find out otherwise. So I immediately go talk to the person that's coordinating Darden Copeland, who's coordinating the outside game of the people, getting them in line to vote and keeping every keeping all the the boats rowing in the same direction. So, so with this one yes, you had the votes, is what you're saying? Correct. Okay, that's how close it was. I tell Darden when I let him know at a certain time, aka sixty minutes from now, start your clock. 
We will not let another person speak. We will end the meeting. So I go back, and Megan's waiting on me. We go in the chamber together, and she she whispers at the administration table in front of the council member's desk. And I watch what she whispered move up through the various human chain to make it to the ear of the vice mayor. When hearing the message, the vice mayor gets on the microphone and says, I have an announcement to make. I want everyone here to know that no matter how long this meeting needs to go, we will. We are here for you. And if you're down on the sixth floor, you can come on down. We will wait for you all night. And I mouth to her that she is not running the meeting. I am running the meeting. And this meeting is stopping in 60 minutes. 60 minutes to go by. We stop. We conclude the public comment period. And we are ready to vote. Between the time of when the vice mayor calls for the vote, the clerk opens the machines and closes the machines. That brief moment in time, that's why you want to be a legislator. All that other shit. That's the, that's the adrenaline. That's the rush. Yeah, yeah. Right there in that spot. And Mike Jamison sitting next to me because there's a there's a rule that says if you're on the prevailing side and you make a motion for reconsideration prior to the vice mayor reading the caption of the next bill, you can prolong defeat to the next meeting. And Jamison and I had already gone over this and he says, Do you want me to vote? Yes. And I said, No, we have the votes. It's 21 to 19. We're going to win. He said, are you sure? I said, I bet my life on it. Boom. Vote taken. 21-19. Carl Dean's desire to send a wrecking ball and a demolition machine to the fairgrounds is defeated. And at that point in time, most mayors on major initiatives, especially ones they've been working six plus months on, they've never lost. It was a crippling defeat for the Carlton administration. All right. Now that we got that all out of the way. (laughs) uh, It is interesting, I think, the vast majority of governing at any level strikes me as just extraordinarily tedious. It's probably a lot of policy wonks mixed with, like, campaign PR people. But, like, you're right. To to hear when the machine is open... That that is the the when you feel the most alive, uh, I think that that tracks. I think that makes sense. I mean, we all remember, you know, John McCain, thumbs down, right? Like we all remember that those kind of moments on a national front. Ronnie Stein turned around in his chair. He sat in front of me, and he was an administration boy, puppet, whatever you want to call it. And he spun around in his chair, and he said, "I can't believe it, Carter Todd." I said, "Yeah, Ronnie, I flipped him and didn't tell you, didn't want anybody to know." He said he came up during the meeting. And told me that he was voting with us. I said, "Yeah, part of the plot, Ronnie. Sorry." <laughs> so, uh, but we okay. Now we have like twelve more years to cover. Uh, so, so uh, I'm curious because what people maybe need to know coming out of that that is fascinating for those that weren't around at that time, which many of you in Nashville weren't around at that time. Uh, it is a, it's excellent insight into how the process went down. And I agree. I'm not sure I've ever seen more support for a bill pro or against in any way, shape, or form like that. 
what happened though after that is, and again, you can fill in the blanks here, but there is a it, we the city, and this leads us into to to what they want to do with the the racetrack now. There's a big deal in place to, or or potential deal in place to renovate the fairgrounds speedway into a usable NASCAR track to bring NASCAR here, as well as a variety of other things. But and, and we'll get to more of that with Nate. But the city is now legally obligated to maintain, take care of, and use the fairgrounds. Correct. So what's the next step after it is saved? There is. So a- after the vote, and to the point you're trying to make, thirty five hundred people in a room wanting a particular outcome and they got it by the skin of their teeth. It shouldn't have been that close. Everybody knew that it wasn't going to stop. So we formulated an idea to put a charter amendment on the ballot at the metropolitan general election, which coincided with the mayor's race. And that charter amendment was approved with 70% of the vote. And, you know, not to think this was just some unopposed great idea. It wasn't. I mean, Neighbors for Progress, led by now council member Colby Sledge, was a yellow T-shirt wearing group that lost that vote. Colby later used that platform to run for district council. But also, you know, they had... They tried to stop various matters at the election commission to keep it from keep the referendum from even getting on the ballot because it's citizen led. So you had to get a certain number of signatures on a petition. Neighbors for Progress challenged that. Matt Pulley wrote a story about it in the scene. Uh, I went there and spoke in opposition to their request to keep it off the ballot for the purpose of keeping it on the ballot. So we finally get to the ballot. Then when it gets to the ballot, it wins seventy percent of the vote and. From that moment in time, Cardine was elected in that same, re-elected in that same election, virtually unopposed. Michael Craddock withdrew from the race. That place became Siberia. Cardine did not give them another dime, it, more, more than whatever it took to keep it on the vine, which ever since then has been the point, is to let it erode by avoiding it, no, no investment, terrible i mean the site is terrible since that time what have they done well they've torn the barns down and rebuilt different ones in the intervening period they built a kickball sorry soccer stadium <laughs> there the the largest soccer only facility in north america owned by john ingram but in addition to that he also got 10 free acres in a rezone but we'll talk about that later. I, that's a that, that talk about that later. i ain't got time for that today jamie <laughs> later and uh, but it's been abandoned but it's still a metro asset and if it was any other government-owned asset it would not be in that shape it is and the reason it is is because they want to kill it by neglect and with cooper administration they're finally willing to put money into the site. And that is refreshing news and hasn't been the case since Carl Dean left office. Okay, so now let me try to lay out the current state of affairs before I ask you to um, give us your final thoughts on the issue, uh, which is that a, a recent poll conducted, a, and I'm going to boil it down, you should go read it, you should go consume all of the different questions, uh, but when asked in a very vague way, do you support or oppose 
a deal to renovate the fairgrounds racetrack into a NASCAR usable facility that includes things like noise reduction walls and hosting all kinds of other things. Um, there's lots of stuff in there, so we'll, we'll go deeper into the deal with Nate. But essentially, the poll result from last week, 42% for, 30% against, 28% unsure. When you add some of the details of the deal to that question, the, the number of support actually goes up to about two-thirds. Um, there, the, Colby Sledge, the aforementioned, of course, has pushed off the vote on the deal until July 25th, which would leave it only one or two council meetings, um, which technically means it's not enough time. We're generally calling that a 2.30 meeting. That was an ordinance passed by the council a couple years ago. Actually quite terrible. Poorly written. It was not a brainchild of anyone in the government. It came from outside the government. But says if there are going to be some bonds issued in a council district, then the council member gets to hold a public meeting on it. Well, Mr. Sledge has been blocking and tackling on this endeavor it's 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 core being against the racetrack is core to who he is as a politician and a member of the metro council so he's continuing to do that he even sponsored the bill to improve the racetrack why did he do that because he's trying to deep six the whole thing does, does it hurt his credibility i sure hope so but he wasn't credible on the point anyway it, it well and and very instrumental in helping the soccer stadium uh, which is obviously a far, it's like a whole nother episode uh, all all into itself. I should also point out that a May on May 5th, this state law was dropped for this to pass from 27 to 21 um, in terms of what vote counting has to happen moving forward. Also, again, uh, just some more details, 30,000 seat new track facility. There's been some estimates, 100 million, and then there's some newer estimates at 160 plus million. Uh, again, the infield renovation, it, essentially what you have pointed out is that death by neglect versus investment and growth. That is where we are at in the debate is, is do we continue just to let it deteriorate? Uh, it is very, very popular with NASCAR for a few reasons. And, and I can lay those out quickly, which is that they do not have anywhere in America, very many Metro tracks, anything inside of a city at, that even resembles a, a place or a location as close to a downtown like the fairgrounds. And so NASCAR has lost most of its charm by moving all of its tracks into the suburbs across the country. Dallas, California, Chicago, Atlanta, you name it, they're all outside of the corridor. Dale Earnhardt Jr., one of the most popular drivers in the history of the sport, is very fond of the fairgrounds and has been a vocal advocate for bringing NASCAR back to Nashville as well. So it doesn't mean there's not competing interest on this, which is why we're going to let Nate describe the deal. Uh, but can you can you tell me exactly what the, in your mind, what the debate is? Is that is that is that as clear a picture as I can paint of the debate itself for the average Davidson County voter? I mean, it's incredibly filled with hypocrisy. So you've got a soccer stadium that was built prior to any renovation or improvements to the speedway, and the speedway predated the soccer stadium if i'm not mistaken the soccer stadium is not in fact 118 years old no most of the houses surrounding the fairgrounds also came after the speedway the reason in tennessee there's never been a lawsuit to shut down the speedway under any plausible 
claim is because under the laws of the state of Tennessee, you cannot move to the quote-unquote nuisance and then complain about the nuisance that you moved to. That's why litigation by a neighbor says, oh, my God, can't believe this. You know, I hear, I hear cars riding around a track at 7 p.m. on a Saturday or 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Oh, my God, have you listened to the interstate at 10 o'clock? It sounds like cars racing around a track. Chapits to run right through that area. Briley Parkway, I-40, I-65, you name it. But there's a different type of constituent that likes racing from a constituent that likes soccer. And and let's be very clear about, again, building a 30,000-seat concert venue right next to another 30,000-seat concert venue may not be good for business for the original owner of the 30,000-seat concert venue. Is that also part of this equation? Sir, I, nor anyone involved in racing picked the venue or made the decision to build a 30,000 seat kickball soccer concert stadium next to a 30,000 seat city on track. He made that choice. Now he can't now complain it with good conscience and good faith with a straight face that oh my God you're rent a, you're going to make an investment in this track and you're going to compete with me. I was going to say C- it's not it's come on. I mean it's obviously about business interests, which I don't. I'm not going to. It is what it is. Like you can't if if somebody says this is not good for my business and then fights that cause, you got to say okay. But I'm fine with that, but it, right. you like the neighbors can't say oh my God the noise from the racetrack. How many kickball games are there a season, Braden? About seventeen at home. So plus Shania Twain, which is more than the amount of any race, the racing is going to go on. I think double. And the NASCAR race is only going to be once every two years. Uh, by the way, interesting story. If you want to dive deeper into some of those homes that are right there on um, Bransford, right there next to the stadium, which of course are now going to all be, uh, I think they're all they've all been so- sold and owned now by a singular company that's going to develop them all. It's called Team. Entity, yeah. according to the letter Mr. Ingram wrote to the mayor. It's called a team entity. There you go. Uh, Dwayne, the Allman Brothers house is in there, right? When their father was was uh, stationed here, I believe. So the Allman Brothers grew up in one of those houses for a little while playing playing guitar. That would have been a hell of a time to be around Bransford Avenue. Um, those houses were affordably rented. I miss the advocacy group standing up and protesting all that. Yeah, that somehow. Yeah. So uh, this is where I'm going to ask you to take a deep breath. That was an extraordinary story. I do appreciate it. Uh, For those that obviously were not around uh, in 2011, I think it's an interesting insight into how the entire process works. And um, your interest personally in this particular subject came from the amount of people in the community that were interested in saving the fairgrounds. It has now evolved 15 years later into different things with different organizations and different interests. Here's the Um, similarity, Braden. The people that wanted to demolish the Speedway in 2011 are the same people that want to see the racetrack gone. That's the commonality. The difference is, in 2011, we needed a charter amendment and 27 votes to save it. Now, thanks to the law that was passed by the Tennessee General Assembly, uh, yeah, 
We only we need that, that thing. We need twenty one to save it now. The people on other sides of the V are the same. Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, on that note, uh, you could take a breath, and here was my conversation about the deal itself, what it means for taxpayers, what it means for the city, with uh, Axios's Nate Rao. Nate Rao from Axios Nashville joining us here on the show. Nate, good to see you. Thank you for coming on the program today, my man. How are you? Yes, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. Uh, first guest ever. How do you feel? Is it a pretty big accomplishment in your career? Uh, I'm honored. I think what you're doing is really cool, so I appreciate you inviting me on. Well, thank you for making the time, and uh, we obviously think this is a pretty important topic to a lot of Nashvillians, and we've kind of covered the history of this going all the way back to 2011, but let's start with sort of the competing interests and the competing factors in this. So in your description, in your mind, how, how do people need to view the two sides of the disagreement as it pertains to the fairgrounds being renovated, developed, being turned into something new, who are the two competing sides? How do people need to look at, I don't want to call it a battle, but how do people need to look at the, uh, the divide? Well, I think on one side you have uh, folks who look at that 2011 referendum and view it as an edict that Nashville has to have a operating racetrack at the fairgrounds. And Mayor Cooper's response to that is to stri- has been to strike a deal with Bristol Motor Speedway to renovate the track, essentially build a, a new track, and uh, to bring NASCAR back to Nashville, back to the fairgrounds. Um, so that's that's one side. And then on the other side, you have neighbors, including the next door neighbor, which is Nashville SC, and and others who are concerned about the financing. They're concerned about quality of life issues. And as it relates to SC, they're concerned about having essentially a competing venue right next door. You would have literally two 30,000 seat taxpayer subsidized venues next door to each other. Are they going to compete for concerts? Are they going to compete for other events that they could host? Those are the concerns that the soccer club's owner, elite owner, John Ingram, has raised. Uh, yes, uh, Citizen uh, Against Racetrack Expansion, singular, is is really the name there. But there's a lot of things to consider with all of this because, as you pointed out, edict is a strong word, but it is a legal obligation the city has to maintain this. Now, they've intentionally not done that to, to get to the point where we are today. The city, and Cooper was against, of course, Mayor Cooper was against the stadium deal in theory. He worked hard to get a better deal at the time. I'm not going to rehash all of that. Uh, but he did technically get a better deal for the city. But like at some point, the the neighborhood knew this was like they were so for this track in 2011. It was one of the most impressive showing shows of public support for any issue I've ever seen as a Nashvilleian. Why is it now that they're they're all of a sudden? And we know why John Ingram is against this and the business interests. But why now would the same group of people? that were so passionately for the racetrack in 2011 be the ones that are now concerned about the direction of where it's going. There's always been an element of neighbors who have opposed having a racetrack there. Uh, councilman Sledge, uh, before he was a councilman, apo- uh, supported Mayor Dean's plan to uh, demolish it and to, and to redevelop it, I think is really what he supported. Uh, the highest, best possible use. That, well, the, my answer to that is that that neighborhood has changed. It has changed. I mean, it's developed. A lot more people have moved in. It's denser than it used to be. 
And I think that there are legitimate questions about putting a NASCAR level racetrack in the middle of an urban neighborhood. And the other issue is the, and I haven't heard this addressed very much, but that soccer stadium has stressed that neighborhood. You would know better than me how many games they have. Is about <laughs> 17. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I, they, to, to your point, I have a very difficult time deciding how to go to and get out of the soccer matches. Yeah, no, it's like you're on a Goonies expedition to figure <laughs> out how to tre- make the trek up there. It's it's crazy. You know, do I go to Emma Rose? Do I head into Berry Hill? I've, I have friends who live in that area. They complain about people walking through the yards, parking in front of their driveways. I mean, it's it's a struggle. You're going to add more to that neighborhood. You're going to add more events, more concerts, more races. You're going to have a NASCAR event every other year. The noise is legit, man. I used to live off Carruthers. Uh, I could hear those cars going around. It didn't bother me that much, but I didn't live that close, and I think it did bother others. So I, I definitely am empathetic to that. So you kind of added, and, and I will say, there are concerns about the financing too. There are people who have studied this the most and are a little, are very leery of how this thing would be paid for. So you kind of add all that together and you end up with this robust opposition. There, there's, It's fascinating to me because recent polling, of course, paid paid for by Bristol Motor Speedway, the Heart Research, uh, which is a very you know very high level, very respected polling company. Basically, forty two percent for this is a countywide poll, forty two percent for, thirty percent against, twenty twenty eight percent unsure. That then jumps to, to almost two thirds for the racetrack development. When you start including more details, those details, of course, were written in the questionnaire by the people trying to build the stadium. So that's just just worth noting. Um, I, the, there's arguments though that like if you want to live in an urban neighborhood, you kind of have to deal with this. You also save the fairgrounds. You were part of saving the fairgrounds. I agree with you that the neighborhood is super stressed. I, I think there's fatigue on public subsidy. That's how John Cooper fought the battle against John Ingram in the first place. Was he kind of had some public sentiment behind him, and we ended up with a fully privately funded soccer stadium. Essentially, the Titans deal is a factor in all of this because we just. The details of the Titan Stadium, Nate, I don't think, and you've done a ton of reporting on this, I don't think people still fully understand the difference between obligation bonds and revenue bonds and sales tax capture and motel taxes and all this stuff. We still have a giant East Bank development that's not even on the blocks yet, that's not even on the table yet, that's going to cost a fortune. It does feel like if we're talking $100 million or some reports Nashville scene, $165 million, it, it does feel like a drop in the bucket compared to the Titans stadium. Why, why the fatigue and why the animosity towards what, what are the concerns in your mind as you've reported in terms of how it's going to get paid for? I think we talked about this uh, on, on your other show when the Titans deal was coming down, the, we are in an existential crisis as a city about what kind of, what are our priorities, right? I know people who understand Metro government, they don't know exactly how the soccer, or I'm sorry, the race check would be paid for. That's not what they're upset about. They're upset about the idea that the smartest people in the city are spending their time equity and their values on things like a racetrack that doesn't compete with them. They, they don't have sidewalks. (laughs) They can't walk their kids to school. It doesn't matter that it's a different pot of money, right? It is a different pot of money though. What, what Cooper has proposed to do to pay for this, it, there's $17 million in a gift from the state of Tennessee, uh, $17 million from the Convention and Visitors Corps, Corp, and they would take 
revenue generated in the racetrack, sales tax revenue, and a split of some of the concession revenues, tickets that would be shared with the city, that would all be pulled together to pay for it. It's not as simple as that, as the Nashville banner has pointed out. Metro would be the backstop. If Bristol walks away or something, God forbid, ever happens, Metro's on the hook for these these bonds. But that's how they would be paid for in a successful racetrack scenario. NASCAR comes back. This thing pays for itself. You and me and our kids are not on the hook for it. But if you were to use general obligation bonds, which the council debated this week, that is the same pool of money that pays for sidewalks and schools and police precincts. So that's a question for the council to answer. They, they said no, right? This was debated this week. Very in the weeds, the capital improvement budget. But the simple, the simple uh, summary is they said no by two votes to that idea of using geo bonds. Had they gone that route, it would have ruined the racetrack deal. Cooper's plan right, would have been right. dead. So it's still alive. I would say it's on life support maybe, but it's still alive as we talk. Well, and, and I think... There's there's a lot of benchmarks and dates in, in all of this. Uh, the state law just lowered the threshold to approve this deal from 27 to down to 21, which means the vote the, the vote to actually eventually push this through only needs 21 votes in the Metro Council. The state, of course, is responsible for dropping that threshold from 27 to 21. Colby Sledge, in sort of a who's the, again the, the the council person who represents this district. He essentially, I don't want to say it's a, a, a tactic or a trick, but this is the game we're playing here. He puts the the conversation around the vote on July 25th, with Dudgeon, which doesn't give the council enough meetings to fully hear all of this through essentially a loophole. Again, I'm using very layman's terms here to describe this. And that what that would do is, in theory, push the entire decision off into a new metro council and a new mayor which makes it an election issue. And we really don't even know what the council map could look like by next year. It sounds like there's going to be lots of pushback <laughs> by people close to the show. Where do you think the timeline is for all of this? And and we're big on presenting solutions to people. So if you are passionate about this, either side, frankly, what are people's, what can people, what can, what can people do? And what's the timeline in your mind on all of this? Well, I think Mayor Cooper has to pull an all-time inside straight to get this done. He has to survive a legal challenge to the state law to determine, is it 27 or is it 21? We have no idea what a judge will say about that. The the idea of when the community uh, meeting takes place, he's got to win, whether that's through a council legislation or maybe a lawsuit, he's got to win on that. And then we know the council's divided. That the vote this week essentially was on do you want the racetrack plan or not? And it was thirteen to fifteen to two with nine people not there. So he's got to convince council, survive legal challenges, hold a community meeting, o- overcome a, a hostile and very smart council member who represents that area. Uh, who, by the way, is very pro soccer stadium. He was pro soccer very, stadium. Very proud of the soccer stadium. And he's and he's skeptical of this plan. He opposes this plan. So I look at all that. And I say, I just don't see it happening, right? Like, I, I don't see how you, in such a short amount, what we're talking, what you're saying on the timeline is this council's done in five meetings. We have a council election coming up. So there's not much time for this group of folks to approve it. And if they don't, then it's up to the next mayor and the next council to tackle the same issue. And a story in Axios Nashville written by you, of course, with feedback from all the candidates in the mayoral race the vast majority of whom are essentially no's on the front end, 
But John Cooper was a big no on a lot of this stuff before he was elected. I'm actually okay with people having a personal opinion as as a candidate on the campaign trail and then following through with what their constituents want when they get into mayoral office. I know that I know that kind of blows people's minds sometimes, but like I'm okay with politicians changing their minds if it is in the best interest of the people that they represent, even if they personally disagree. John Cooper did that. I don't want to say like how much do you believe all these candidates, but that is essentially what you reported is that most of these candidates are not in favor of this. There's a few that are let's say wishy-washy on it at best. If John Cooper does not pull the inside straight and the deal does not go through before the election, August 3rd, and it's, it becomes a part of the next uh, administration, what are your, what are your, get? again, this is all guesswork here, but what what is your assumption of what will happen? I mean, I look at this field of candidates and I see two people, uh, Alice Rowley and Vivian Wilhoyt, who said unequivocally, we support this racetrack plan. Okay, so at best, you're going to have to convince if one of those two doesn't win. Right. And I think they would both be in the underdog category. I think that's fair. If one of those two doesn't win, then you're going to have to convince at best. You're going to have to convince the next mayor that this is a good idea. I saw a lot of kind of loaded language that makes me think that that would be a very hard sell. I think when you look at Matt Wilcher, who's a top contender for the to be the next mayor, he said, I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, that's not my priority, right? My priority is yep. sidewalks and schools and things like that. His, the new television ad he dropped this week, he's taken his kid to kindergarten. So I, I could never predict whether a politician would change their mind. And I will say this, the opponents have a hard time pitching a new vision for that racetrack or that property. I, that's a great point. What's the counter plan? So if you're the mayor and you get in there and no, you don't, everything we just talked about, you don't want to do some elaborate uh, finance, special financing for NASCAR to return. Okay. What are you going to do with that? Those, that acreage of land? What are you going to do with the racetrack? Do you want it to be community racing? Do you want to, uh, well, we have a mayor that rips the bandaid off. Megan Barry as a council member supported the plan to raise the, demolish the racetrack. And as a candidate, I believe it was as a candidate, either as a candidate or shortly after she was elected, she got a ride around the racetrack with Tony Formosa, who was the operator at the time. So I think, if I would put it bluntly, I think that if it fails now, you could have a mayor that rewinds to Carl Dean, then Councilmember Megan Barry, and looks at, is this the best possible use of land on city-owned property in 2023? This is not my opinion. Right, right. But I could see us heading down a path with some of these council members that would pursue more affordable housing, more parking, demolish the racetrack, maybe build a new racetrack somewhere else, or maybe Metro gets out of the racing business. Like most major cities are not in the racing business. Which, as we talked about on the episode, is why it's so valuable to NASCAR. It's one of the only tracks in America that is truly a Metro track. There's also some big names attached to it. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is a huge fan and, and a big proponent, and people love him. I, I am curious. This is sort of a different question for you, Nate, but it seems like we have this formula for paying for things in this city. And I just like, can we just keep running the same play over and over again? Uh, like the Music City Center wasn't all that different of a formula. Now it's turned into a huge success financially for now, as long as the state doesn't take that revenue stream away. The Titan Stadium, it. Again, I understand the opposition to it. I sort of would hold my nose and vote for it because I understand the value. I think the track at a much lower price point is 
presented in the exact same way. Is that a model that is sustainable? Can we can is that can we just keep paying for things on revenue bonds forever? Like I I, I think there are a lot of van- advantages to taking the fact that we are a tourism mecca and taking the fact that, you know, the people who use the buildings should be the one paying for it. You know, it shouldn't be a choice between building a new middle school in White's right. Creek where I live or uh, adding an amenity to, you know, Bridgestone Arena. But Which, oh, by the way, <laughs> hold your ear, earmuffs also needs a potential renovation coming soon. Oh, oh, I the the, the Preds are are waiting for all of the dust to settle <laughs> here and they're going to be, you know, you know, Governor Haslam and Sean Henry are going to Oof. Uh, ha- Oof. Th- they might be the first meeting with the new with the new uh uh, mayor well they'll be in the first five i guarantee you that god bless that new mayor <laughs> I, I, but but i mean this i really do i i see this being an issue in the mayor's race and i see it being a possible new direction for our city where we do start to say no to this stuff we've built up there's no there's no question of our status as a music city as a tourism destination I don't know that we need more amenities to to be successful. So I could see a left turn, if you will, where where the default answer is no to these projects. I see that if a lot of the, several of the top contenders for mayor are elected, I don't see an appetite for an MLB stadium, for instance. I, I think Wilcher's answer is very telling in that it there's not a no or a yes in there. It's this is my priority, which to me is a very campaigny answer. I think when it gets into when it gets time to govern, it, it things can become very different. And again, I I want transportation, I want affordable housing, I want metro schools for my two girls to be better. I, there's a million things we all care about. And can you do both? Can you walk and chew gum at the same time? Maybe. Can we be super creative with funding sources for these other things? The mayor's office, I think, right now would tell you that they have been pretty creative on funding other things. So, can, can we do a, a racetrack, which frankly is a fairly small. I don't want to say that sounds crazy to say fairly small budget item, but like when you put it up next to the Titan stadium or the music city center or some of these other things, it actually, you know, $17 million is, is from the state and from uh, the convention center is not a ton of money. Again, can the council get together and give a $2 million raise to teachers in Metro Nashville? That's a pretty hard sell for most people. That's a hard debate. So um, I, I guess the possibility of this being moved up is the real question. And if, if there's some legal issues here, I guess, Nate, the timeline would give John Cooper more ability to hit that inside straight if somehow the threshold is at 21 and the timeline on the council meeting is moved up, right? That's how this becomes more likely under this mayor. Yeah, they can't vote on it until the first meeting in July. That would be first reading. And I like to know the answers to these kind of nerdy uh, metro process questions, but I can't remember if it can advance on first and then you need the community meeting or if the community meeting has to come first and you can't vote till second. So, but the point is community meeting, three votes, legal challenge on the voting threshold. The voting threshold thing is important, right? Cooper should want the lower threshold. Yes. He wants 21 to get through. 27 is a much higher bar. He has no, I think the consensus is he couldn't get 27. I agree. But he might be able to get 21. They had to sue over that state law that lowered the threshold because Metro is making the case in all these other lawsuits, one of which we might talk about today, that legislature, you're unfairly singling out Metro. You're unfairly singling out Nashville. You're violating what's called the home home rule clause. And these laws are illegal. And so they had to sue over it. But there's an advantage to suing that when they did. 
you don't want the higher threshold. You don't want to win the lawsuit effectively necessarily, but you do want to know the answer. Let's say yeah. that they got to second reading and the opponents who are smart people uh, sued. Then it's kicked to the next mayor anyway. It would be tied yeah. up in court and it would kick. So they they will find out what the judge will say, what the judge says, but at least the administration will know whether it's 27 or 21. Well, one of those lawsuits, and I am going to ask you about that, Nate. That's an excellent segue there. One of those lawsuits was filed Monday, I believe, uh, of, of this week about the airport authority. And essentially the state has come in and taken, what, eight, six seats on, on the airport authority um, because of the lawsuit that is now sort of in a, no pun intended, a holding pattern. And now the FAA can come in um, and actually be in control of this. Can you first sort of tell everybody what exactly the airport authority is and does and why it is so important that that board is something that Metro controls versus maybe somebody outside of, of, of Metro? The, the airport authority board is the governing board for Nashville International Airport and actually John C. Toon Airport. So it's vitally important, right? Like our airport is an economic hub for the whole region. And I think that Metro people look at that as a metro institution. Up until now, the mayor has appointed the board members. So you've had people who are pillars in our community. It, it's it's regarded as one of the most desirable boards to be appointed to, along with maybe NES and the Sports Authority and Convention Center Authority. It's it's an honor to be put on that board. All of which, by the way, the state is trying to take over slowly but surely. Correct. You, you've in, seen in lack of a better term. You've seen over yeah the Sports Authority. They uh, they will have some appointments, but Metro will have the majority and uh, uh, on the convention center authority, they have non-voting board members that they've added. So, the, but the idea from the state's perspective is this isn't really a Metro yeah. institution. Like it's not like only people from Davidson County use the airport. <laughs> right. It's a regional hub I and mean, people from Chattanooga and from Kentucky, this, it's, it's their airport. And I, I mean, just again, just to be blunt, it's a cash cow, right? This thing is thriving. We've all been to the airport. It's it's booming. They're doing renovations. It's way nicer. Could use some more lanes, maybe some <laughs> public transportation to get there. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. But I, I think that they see renovation projects happening there, and, and they want to oversee those. And so what you had was a hostile takeover. They, they passed a law that said that, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the house speaker get uh, the majority of appointments. The mayor will keep two appointments. And uh, once again, the Cooper administration, which is a trend here as he leaves office, they fought back in court and they sued. And by the way, I, I should have put it, pointed this out in my story this week. There, there is a train of thought among the Metro nerds, insiders. The Metro should have been pushing back in court on the state f way sooner than this. Yeah. And so I think there's, and they, of course, won, right? They've had three lawsuits. They won on one already, which was shrinking the council before this election. That would have been political bedlam. They've, they've kicked the can on the road about when that will be implemented. They still hope to win on the merits, meaning we would keep a 40-member council, not shrink down to 20. So I, it sounds like you have more to say because I've got stuff to say about that. Okay. Because I, I think there's lots of arguments to shrink the council if we had, we meaning Davidson County, had decided it ourselves. I think a lot of this, st this of course stems from the hostility between the mayor's office and the state with Governor Bill Lee. And it's essentially, it's the, it's the most mind-numbingly dumb thing that I can think of that almost all of this is tied to hosting the Republican National Convention in this town or not. 
And as a Davidson County taxpayer who lives maybe three and a half miles from downtown, I could not care less if the RNC was here or not. I would much rather have control of my airport and my sports authority and everything else. Pick the size of my own city council. I would trade all of that for one weekend of an RNC downtown. Whether I agree or disagree with what they're talking about or whatever garbage propaganda they're peddling, I don't care. Like, I would have said, it's not really that different than a regular Friday or Saturday night downtown anyway. I cannot believe that all of this legal the legal implications of... I, I, I think if you ask John Cooper 20 years from now, should you have just hosted the damn thing? I think he would tell you that... If I had known that the state was going to act this way, I, I should have just hosted the event, right? I mean, what, 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 we're gonna we're gonna now now we're projecting what politicians <laughs> think twenty years from now. Yeah. I don't know. That's the way I see it, at least. That's my opinion. Well, I'll say about Cooper, he left me confused whether he was in favor or against it. He raised concerns about security. To me, it's like if you were against it, he should have owned it a little bit more. He should have said, "I oppose this. This is a bad idea." He shouldn't have prepared the legislation, and he should have been candid with the state Republicans. That was his stance. Sure. I think some folks thought that he might have been for it. They didn't lobby the bill. They didn't try to do what an administration does. To answer your question, there are some folks I've heard from council members who agree with what you just said, but I've also heard the opposite who said, no, we're going to get tar- – this was coming at, down on us no matter what. They always wanted to take over our sports authority. They always yeah. – hey, look, two years ago uh, I did a story that said they were thinking about taking over the school board. They didn't do it. Yeah. And so it's like maybe this was coming and this just gave them the extra motivation. Well, it's antagonistic, if nothing else, and it didn't have to be, and it maybe sped things up. So uh, we we shall see. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? Where can people read you? Where can they interact with you? Where can they spew all their takes at you? Well, you can subscribe to our newsletter. We're at Axios Nashville, axios.com slash local slash Nashville. I'm on Twitter at TNNateRow, but please just don't tweet at me there because <laughs> I've got Twitter up to my eyeballs, and I'm just completely over it. Nate, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thanks, man. That was Nate Rao from Axios Nashville. And Jamie, uh, a few words from you on the Speedway, the fairgrounds, and where we're moving forward from here. Do we want the burden of Speedway improvements to be borne by the general taxpayer to the cost of other things like schools, sidewalks, whatnot or do we want it to be born of the end user of that experience that's the question that was put before the council in a amendment to the community or to the capital improvements budget it lost by two votes so the council has answered that question and i guess the public would agree let the revenue bonds pay for it and be paid for by the end user not the general taxpayer quick question to you and i asked nate this question is this model sustainable long-term to just continue to use revenue bonds to build, pro- to build projects and then use sales tax recapture to pay it off? Is that something that is sustainable long-term for almost anything? Or is that, is that, a, is that a concept that will eventually run out of steam? I don't think so. And you and your question with Nate, you conflated one, i.e. the convention center, how that was paid for. That's through a, the TDZ tourist development zone that at the time we were in a recession at a financial crisis, they drew a circle around downtown that was huge because in the words of the 
former comptroller Justin Wilson, quote, it could not fail, end quote. And I think history has shown that perhaps that was too much capture, but a little different than Titan Stadium deal and the racetrack proposal that the end user consumer that goes to those events are going to pay for it. I'm sure something else will come along by people smarter than us, but it's worked so far. And there's the only project where that didn't work was what they call first Tennessee ballpark or first horizon ballpark. Now the sound stadium, but that's just because it was a crap deal. Not because the model's bad. Now you need to let everybody know. I'm not going to ask you specifically where you fall personally on this. Obviously you told everybody about where you stood in 2011, but um, obviously we want to let people know whenever they're listening to this, what's, what's coming in the future in this particular fight. I expect to be joining the litigation as legal counsel to a party in the lawsuit that has been filed against the state of Tennessee by the metropolitan government and that lower tier lawsuit filed by three members of the Metro Council who are opposed to the Speedway renovation and are basically opposed to anything John Cooper proposes because it's cool to do in their eyes. Uh, all right. Well, that, that leaves us here with all politics are national. We'll try to end the show with a story that is happening around the country, but has a lot of relationship or tie back to the state of Tennessee. And in a recent Supreme Court ruling, I believe this was two weeks ago, the Supreme Court last Thursday, two Thursdays ago, depending on when you're listening to this, actually stepped back from the brink of completely gutting the 1965 Voting Rights Act, a five to four vote with Kavanaugh and Roberts joining the um, liberal judges on sort of protecting essentially the right to vote in the state of Alabama. Now, why is this relevant to the state of Tennessee? I will get you, Jamie, to sort of explain why they, in fact, ruled that way. There have been other states mentioned that could be affected by this, Georgia, North Carolina. And of course, there are some things matriculating through the system here in Tennessee as well that involve district drawing based on race. So quickly, are you? how surprised were you that the ruling came down and what should Tennesseans know about the ruling in terms of what it could do for our state? As a lawyer, getting surprised doesn't happen too often anymore. But before this case was decided, I would have told you that the Voting Rights Act does not exist in practical terms anymore because of Shelby County v. Holder and then the subsequent case, Burnovich v. Democratic National Convention. But this preserves Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act that says you can't draw districts exclusively based on race. I don't see it expanding to other matters. That's it. Based on race, you can't do it. There's a bright line now thanks to this case. So, so basically Alabama was so egregious in their district drawing that it was just too obvious for even two justices that don't necessarily agree with it to, to side with them. Uh, is this why Nashville was able to do why the, the state of Tennessee was able to draw the districts the way they were is that it was not as obviously based on race. It was just, we want to divide Nashville and Davidson County into three equal voting blocks so that they cannot have the same influence they used to have. The general proposition for how the, they were drawn in Tennessee is that a County was split up. Racial demographics were not split up, but one county was split up. And while that seems like a good idea, 
that was not part of the Voting Rights Act. They, the Voting Rights Act does not say you can't split up counties. Right. It's just been a general practice when drawing the lines. And, yeah, they had the ability to dilute the power. He who, you know, to the victor go the spoils. He they who, make the rules. Who, who writes the laws. So, really, it, what, what should ultimately, and we'll wrap up the show on this note, what, what ultimately, is there any positivity to be taken from that ruling in terms of the Tennessee situation uh, or is it we're just we we are what we are at this point we are what we are I don't think there's anything to be gained from that opinion and make it applicable to the current cases traveling through the court system in the state of Tennessee they're going on now those lawsuits are going on now but they were enjoined or precluded those lawsuits were precluded from stopping those maps because of the timing of the election. It's kind of like how the bill to reduce the size of the Metro Council from 40 to 20. What's the posture of it? Well, the posture of it is court said, hey, we're going to enjoin this because there's an election going on. People have pulled petitions. They've appointed campaign treasurers. They're raising money. The courts are very reluctant to get involved in types of cases that are too close to elections. And that's the main point uh, in Tennessee in that voting rights case and in council reduction matters. Any guess on when we get any kind of information or outcome on that particular case in the state of Tennessee? Or is that, oh, is that a ways off? That is a ways off months, years. Courts don't operate very quickly unless the Tennessee Supreme Court gets involved via what's called a reach down motion. And those cases are generally limited to election matters all right well uh that about does it for this week we do appreciate nate rao for jumping on with us uh, i would tell everybody where i would ask you jamie to tell everybody where to follow you on twitter but you've already told everybody not to follow you on twitter so, so there you have it um we do appreciate your time please share the product you can get to all the social accounts for Podbus nashville across instagram and twitter we do appreciate you guys please tell somebody about the show for jamie i am Braden. we'll talk to you next week thank you for listening this has been Podbus nashville